Amen. You know, I love this series on heaven so much. I said, we just got to roll it over into Christmas, and we'll make all the application for Christmas. But, you know, we don't really hear about heaven enough, do we? It's kind of like you go to a funeral, yeah, I heard about heaven. No, we need to hear about it every day because Jesus said, I want you to bring heaven to earth. Amen. I want you to see the manifestation of what I'm doing in my spiritual kingdom on earth, and so you understand how I operate in the kingdom of God. You know, I was, uh, years ago, I read an article about a city in Guatemala that had been literally transformed by revival, but the revival didn't affect just the attitude toward God and the relationship toward God, but it affected every dimension of that city. And I'm going to talk about that today, and I always love the way God puts pieces together. But uh, as I read about it, I, I was just amazed because this city, uh, prior to 1974, was a city that was marked by crime, by alcoholism, and by poverty. And they began to pray, they began to really seek God, and that community began to transform, not just in the church life, so to speak, but it was transformed even economically. You know, what we have to understand is we're called to do more than just bring people to faith in Christ. We're called to transform people from one degree of glory to another to see not only our communities and our families come to faith in Christ, but to see cities transformed for the glory of God. And that's part of what you understand when you really begin to understand the mandate of God. I like to say if all salvation was was about going to heaven, then God would just take us to heaven the moment we got saved. But God had a purpose for us here on earth, every single one of us. He wants us to excel in what we do regardless what area of focus you have in your job, in your vocation, in your school. He wants you to thrive and be the very best you possibly can in what you're doing for the glory of God. Because the Bible says whatever you do in word or deed, do unto the glory of God. That means if you're a student, then get A's. Don't try to find a way to get, just get by. That means if you're out there working, show up earlier and work longer because you're not working for that paycheck. See, people who work for paychecks, they show up late. They try to see what they can get by, how long a break they can take, how much lunch they can take, because they don't understand you're not working for that paycheck. One day there's an accounting coming from the God of, of, of the universe, and he's going to say, why were you such a lazy servant on your job? Hey, how about that? Don't get a lot of amens on that one. Get a couple of oh me's. Amen? You know, uh, I also love the way, I'm going to come back to the city in Guatemala because it's amazing, but I walked in this morning, and John Goodwin has been my tomato supplier for years. And he grows tomatoes, and he came in, and I, I always just hate it when fall comes because the tomatoes are going to dry up. And he walked in today, and he said, they're still coming. And he handed me, and he had no idea what I was going to talk about today, but the Holy Spirit did. So in Alamanga, Guatemala, a city began to pray. They began to transform. A city that was uh, really had committed. It was a, it's a Mayan city. They began to see God move in such a way that the economy transformed, and as high as, according to some sources, as high as seventy-five percent of the people there have come to faith in Christ in this city. And I'd heard about it for a while, but you know, I'm always a little bit hesitant to bring something to you unless I have some 
some verifiable information. We like to say when we give you miracles, they're medically verified miracles. But I, I was searching last night trying to find more and more information about Alamanga. And this morning I got up still more determined than I was the night before. I said, I've got to find something to really lock this down. And I opened up an article. It's just like God said, here it is. I typed in the right kind of combination. The Holy Spirit just amplified it. And this was an article, November 17, 2017. So just, just recently. And it's, it's called The Stand. And what it's talking about, it begins with these words, in Alamanga itself, in the first decade of the century, farmers on an average earned twice as much as those in the next village where Protestantism had not taken off. And this article was talking about how this idea of this, this relationship with God, now this is in The Economist, not the most conservative magazine in the world, okay, was talking about how this relationship with God had transformed the community and everything about it, and then I went on to read this, before and after, two simple words frequently used to describe a city in western uh, Guatemala called Alamanga. The locals consistently refer to their city in, in, in two eras, before the power of God came in the mid-70s and after when it reported that up to 90% of the 18,000 residents became born-again Christians. The way people in Alamanga say before is reminiscent of how others might say in the dark ages. The word signals a new epic for the city marked by, a family, by family harmony, prosperity, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The contrast is stark and real to the people who remember how just 25 years ago, demons, fear, poverty, disease, idolatry, and alcohol dominated their region and their families. Some call Alamanga a miracle city because of the radical transformation in many dimensions of the ethnically Mayan um, community. Some Christian leaders say that Alamanga is the best example they've seen of how intercession, spiritual warfare, and evangelism can transform a community. So, I had also read about the, these vegetables and how, how, how now they've gone from two harvests a year, now they have three harvests a year. Now, think about this. So, anyway, I'm standing here, and here comes a lady up to me. Her name is Anna, and Anna came up, and she said, everything you said is true. I'm from Alamanga, Guatemala, and she said, you just can't believe it. And she's just like verifying. I mean, how does this woman show up here today? Now, you know, some of you are like skeptics. You wouldn't believe if Jesus was sitting next to you. But, you know, think about it. Like, think about it. Like, how does she show up at church today? How does John show up and hand me tomatoes today? You see, when you start to move in the spirit of God, God begins to bring all the things together. There's a divine concurrence that God operates in when you begin to move in the spiritual realm. When you step out of the spiritual realm and you just think you're going by your own course and you have to fight for everything to make it happen. But when the Spirit of God begins to move, things become easy. I want to show you a picture. I just had, we had to get a picture of Anna and Tammy and I today. So here she was in the first service. There she is. Isn't that awesome? So she said, you won't believe how big the carrots are there. So I went back between services. I said, pull up an, a carrot from Alamanga. I got to see what they look like. Let's look at this picture. It's incredible. The moms there never say, eat your carrot. They say, eat your carrot. Look at that. Is that the only one we have with any more carrots? Or is that the only carrots we have? I mean, that's not bad. That's all the carrots. All right, that's, that's enough. How do you explain stuff like that? Did you just snort? 
I didn't know you were a snorter. That is so awesome. J.D., did you know that about your girlfriend? No, you didn't know. That's why you date a long time, brother. There's more to be found out, I guarantee you. Oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Let's take what we, we learned about Alamanga. Let's, let's begin to, to put it, push it into our life. God wants to do things in your life that don't make sense in the natural realm. He wants to bless you in the spiritual, supernatural realm in so, in so many ways that people look back and go, you've got to be kidding me. I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of searches for alamanga carrots when we get done with this service because you're going to go, is that true? Is that real? What's going on there? You see, the less you move in the supernatural, the more amazing the supernatural seems to you. God's natural is the supernatural. The more you see God work, the more the supernatural becomes your natural. You say, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. Prayers are supposed to be answered. Things are supposed to happen. Miracles are supposed to occur because that's the way it works in the supernatural realm. That's what it means when you pray, bring heaven down to earth and let earth begin to experience all the fullness of what God is doing. I want to see a time when people are actually drawn here because of no other reason. They go, you know, I don't know, there's just the unexplainable there. I want to go there because the unexplainable. Not because the music's great, not because the preaching's okay, not any of those things, but because God is doing something, you say, I just want to encounter God. This can never be about us. This has to be about him. And there becomes such an atmospheric presence of God that it becomes like a magnetic force that draws you in, and not only does it draw you in, but it transforms you in the process. So you take on the characteristics of that 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 d dimension you're in, that circumstance, that atmosphere you find yourself in in such a way that people go, wow, that there's something happening there. I want to be a part of it. I began to frame some questions as I thought about this message, and the message is called The Windows of Heaven. Last week we set this message up by talking about the three heavens. Today we're going to talk about that third heaven, what happens in that third heaven. But uh, here's the first question that came to me. Has a negative experience or loss been holding you back? You know, a lot of people in life uh, will experience a lot of negativity and a lot of crisis moments in their life, and some of those people actually are held back by them, and some people are transformed through them. What we want to do today is we want to help you to understand how you don't have to let those things hold you back, but literally let them be a catalyst to, to launch you forward into what God wants to do in you and through you in your life. The second question I want, to, I want to address is this one. Do you need a financial breakthrough? And I don't mean would you like to have more money. I mean do you need a breakthrough? Do you need something that is unexplainable to happen in your financial realm uh, in order for you to really thrive in your life? Now, for some of you, you have a job, you make it, and, yeah, you'd like more money. Sure, who wouldn't? But that's not who I'm talking about here. I mean there is something that's just standing in the way, and you say if something doesn't happen, if I don't get a breakthrough, I'm in trouble. And that's for some of you, I know. Also, have you had a series of unexplained setbacks in your life? Have you ever heard people say, you know, you tell them like two bad things that have happened to you and they go, bad things happen in three? You ever heard that? Like, don't tell me that. Now I'm waiting around the corner for the third bad thing to show up at my door. 
really, good things come in three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? All right, but what I want to say is if you look at your life and go, why, are, why am I having these setbacks in my life? They seem to be unexplained. I don't understand that. You know, you might say, well, I, I've had a series of really bad, unfortunate setbacks with my car. It just keeps breaking down, and they fix it, and I have to go back. And they fix it, and they have to fix it. And it reminds me of a story. When we were first married and we had our, had our first two children, uh, we were pastoring a small church in South Louisiana, just, uh, just north of Baton Rouge. And if that doesn't set the stage for this story, I don't know what does. So there's this guy in our church. He worked at the, at the paper mill, and he came over to me, and he said, a uh, hey, preacher, he was a true redneck. I'm talking right out of the woods. He said, preacher, how many miles you got on that car? And I said, about 70, about 70,000. He said, have you ever changed the brakes? I said, no. He said, did you get it new? And I said, I did. And those are the original brakes. He says, oh, you're in trouble. You got those two little kids. I need to jack up your car. I need to look at the brakes. We need to change them out. We need to take care. I said, can you do that? And he said, I'll do that for you. So he comes over the next morning. He jacks up my car. He pulls off the wheel, and, and he looks at it, and he said, give me that look like, how many miles do you have on this car? And I said, about 70,000. And he went over and took off the other wheel and looked at it and said, are you sure? And I said, I'm absolutely sure. He said, well, you don't need brakes. And he said, how do you explain that? And I looked at him. I said, Lauren, the only way I can explain, explain it is that I honor God in my giving, and God extends what I have. He preserves what I have to go further than it normally would have gone because there's no other explanation. And our life, Tammy and our, our life has been a history of seeing God do the miraculous and extending things that normally wouldn't be extended because we've honored him in our giving. Now, I tell that to people, and they go, well, that doesn't even make sense. I know. I agree with you. The supernatural never makes sense to the natural. Until the natural becomes natural, the supernatural becomes natural in your life. Then you go, of course, that's how it works. That makes complete sense. I remember one time Tammy had, uh, had to have her wisdom teeth out, and uh, so we went to the doctor, and the dentist said, yeah, you got to have them out. Here's three specialists. You can call these. These are the order that, of, of who I'd recommend, one, two, and three. We prayed about it. We said, we think God wants us to go to the, the second one. Now, it's rare when you say, let's go to the second recommendation, the second best doesn't make sense, right? So we said, well, we just feel like that. Went in, did all the tests. He said, yeah, we're going to have to take them out, take them out. We don't, know, we don't even know how we're going to pay for it. Honestly, do not know how we're going to pay for it. And the doctor came out, and he said, you know, um, uh, I, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. He said, I just want you to know that uh, it's just taken care of. Don't worry about it. You don't know anything. Now, what if we'd have gone to the first guy and not relied on prayer to lead us into where God wanted to bless us? See, that's revelation. Don't make a decision based on what your friends recommend. Make a decision based on what God recommends. Follow in the spirit of God, and God will do things that cannot be explained by man. You see, that's what, we, that's what Christianity is. If Christianity for you is showing up and hearing a, you know, a decent sermon and a decent music and all that kind of stuff and then going home and go, wasn't that nice, then you have missed the point completely. That has nothing to do with Christianity. That's consumerism. That's not Christianity. Christianity says, I want a real encounter with the supernatural God that not only transforms me, but transforms the people around me, the communities I live in, and the society at large. I want to see God show up and prove that he's the God that I read about in that Bible. 
I don't want some other version. I want that God, that God of the Bible who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He's always the same. He worked miracles yesterday. He worked miracles today. He loves me yesterday. He loves me today. He's going to transform the world through me. That's why we always just encourage people, when you're, if you're a student, you be the best student you can. You're in your profession, be the best you can because God can use you in greater ways. The more you fine-tune the skills that God has given you and you put your hand to the plow and you work hard. Did you know that's a biblical principle? People say, I'm just waiting for God to bless me. Well, get up off your butt. Amen? Now, somebody said, well, I don't think you should say butt in church. Well, the Bible uses that word. I know, move on. My wife's going, move on, Phil. Just keep moving. Number four, have you had a dream that needs to be activated? You know, have you ever noticed how little kids have dreams and they, they see everything as a miracle? We were just with our, our two grandkids and seven and five, and little Crosby, he's Spider-Man, and he throws the web at me. He expects me to go down. He goes, and I better fall. He really believes there's something coming out of his hands, and I better acknowledge it. The only way he's, he, that stops in his mind is when somebody tells him that doesn't really happen. For a lot of you, there's been a lot of dreams, a lot of things that you wanted to see happen in your life, and somebody told you that doesn't happen. And they killed your dream. They killed your creativity. They killed everything that was in you that was powerful and important, God-given. Because we're born by nature to be creative and, and to see the world bigger than it really is. And then we go through life and we're just, we're, we get jaded by experience after experience in life and it just, it just crushes us, everything inside of us. And God wants to activate that back in you and say, no, I created you in my image. I created you powerfully and mightily to do great and mighty things. I created you to be the head and not the tail. I created you to thrive and not fail. I want you to be more than you are. And all you have to do is say, I'm ready for what God has for me. I was reading in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, and I came to this verse, verse 11, and I thought it was so powerful, and it really sets up the message today. It's not the message. It sets up the message. It says, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand, and it's not beyond your reach. When I read that, I thought that was so powerful. I'm going to tell you something you can do. You're going to understand it, and you're going to be able to do it, and it's going to change your life. You see, when I understand what God wants me to do, now the only decision is, will I do it? Sometimes we understand what God wants us to do, and we, we follow it up with, yeah, but I, I don't really know if I can do that. No, God says you can do it. You can't understand it. Now, will you do it? Will you make a decision that's going to change your life and maybe change generations to come because you're obedient? The Bible talks about windows in heaven. Last week we talked about the third heaven. Today we're going to talk about the window in the third heaven. I want you just to imagine a window in heaven. And God says, it's my window, and I'm going to open it up when I want to open it. I'm going to close it when I want to close it. Now, if you, you know, it's, the temperature has kind of been crazy here in Southern California, right? I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining, but there are times where we say, hey, we need to open the window. 
we need to let some air in here because it's hot in here, right? So we open it up at night so we get that nice, cool Southern California air to come in. Can you imagine if it was hot upstairs in our house and I said to my wife, you know, let's open the window, it's hot, and she said, yes, I agree, but we don't do it. Doesn't make sense, right? No, well, she says, why don't you go open the window? I said, I'm not going to open the window. You open the window. And then we're just mad, so we just sit there and don't open the window. Because she won't open the window. I won't open the window. Somebody needs to open the window. Can you say with me, somebody needs to open the window. There's a window here. When you open a window, guess what you do? You get to see inside the house. You ever walk down the street? Somebody got the window open? See what they got. Look at what are they doing in there, right? When God opens a window of heaven, you get to see into heaven. You get to see the activity of God in the supernatural realm in new and fresh ways you've never seen before, but you've got to get the window open first, and I'm going to show you today how you can open the window. Let's go to the promise. The promise is, and then we're going to come back, reread it, and we're going to give you the whole context of the passage. God says, I will open the window. You don't open it, he opens it. You do something and he opens it. We want God to open the window. We can say, God, would you go open that window? He said, I will, but I got something for you to do first. Let's look at it. I will open the window of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. How many of you want some of that? Right? I mean, think about it. No, God, we don't have, there's no more room for blessings. The Bible says God loves a cheeriest giver, Right? I mean, you imagine just, guys, just, I'm just, I'm so excited. I can't wait to give. I've never seen a, we pass the offering plate and a guy just laughing. You ever seen people just la- throw some more, I, I can't believe I'm throwing all that money. And just start laughing. This generous giver, generous giver, generous giver. Guy says, pass that back here. I'm having so much fun. I want to do it one more time. Never seen it in my life. Don't really expect to, by the way. But, you know, God does love a cheerful giver. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk today about spiritual momentum, and it begins, spiritual momentum in your life begins when you follow God's wisdom. If you follow your wisdom, you don't get spiritual momentum. You get your momentum, your ability, your skill, your knowledge, your hard work, you get it, but when you follow after God's wisdom, you get the momentum that comes from heaven. So let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It asks this question, will a man rob God? Now, what a crazy question is that? How can you rob God? We had our house broken in one, one time years ago, and somebody came in and took all kinds of stuff out of our house and then left, and, and uh, we were robbed. They came at the weakest time in our life when we were gone, they, they found their way in through the back window, and they made it really easy on themselves. They even took the cookies my wife just made, put them down the floor for the dog to keep the dog busy while the robbery was going on. You say, that's just not right. Which, the robbery or feeding the dog cookies? But think about it. It says, will a man rob God? Would a man take God when he was vulnerable at his weakest moment? Would God come in when he that doesn't even make sense. It says, yet you have robbed me. In what ways have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And I read that, and I thought, wow, God, I, I don't really like the idea of you cursing me or cursing a nation. What does that mean? And I had to, I've been processing through this thing, really, 
for a couple of weeks because I knew I was going to preach on this, and I've been processing through it, and hopefully I'm going to give you something that's going to help in the process. But here's one of the things I want you to understand, that unbelief is anchored in the visible. If I see it, it immediately causes me to start to disbelieve it. There's something natural about that, that that even when I see a great miracle of God, I go, I wonder. When I read about Alamanga, I thought, is that true? And I had to just keep drilling down, drilling down, drilling down until God just kept reinforcing, reinforcing, reinforcing. said, really, do you not believe that I can do that kind of thing? Well, I do, God, but it just seems kind of too big. Do you have something in your life that's too big for God? Now, you, you, intellectually, you say, no, I know God can do that, but emotionally and volitionally, is there anything too big for God? Wouldn't you like to see God do the big stuff in your life and just work a miracle in your life? What I begin to realize is the first portion of everything I make is God's. That's why the Bible calls it first fruits, not second, third, or fourth. You say, well, I give God whatever I have left when it's all said and done. Can I tell you that the most important message I'm going to ever tell you beyond salvation is the message on this one? There is not a message I'm going to give you that's more important than this one because this one is so critical to your future and to your future generations of children and for the movement of the kingdom of God that you cannot get this one wrong. If you get this one wrong, you'll get the other ones wrong too. If God has spoken, then we need to see what, what does God say, and we need to try to do everything we can to do what God has said us, told us to do. All right. So the first portion carries with it the blessing. I was reading in Jack Hayford's book, and he said this, there is nothing that tests a person's true view of the invisible realm more than taking 10% of your incoming and laying it on the altar before God. It's so true. We spend our days working for, you know, whether you work by the hour or by the job or by performance or whatever you do, it's all about heartbeats off your life. And you go, wow, you want me to give some of this up? God, I don't, I don't why? Why, God? Because your heart needs to change. You know, I like the way I feel when I give, don't you? Even if it's a guy in the corner, I give him a dollar. You know, it's like, yeah, he's, you know, he, I don't know what he's doing with it. He's probably making more money than me, but I'm going to give him a dollar. You ever do that? Don't you feel good? You walk away, it was a dollar. It wasn't a thousand, it was a dollar. You walk away, God, why do I feel so good about that? You might even tell somebody, you know, I saw this guy in the corner, give him a dollar. Oh, that's nice. Good for you. Why do I feel so good when I do that? It's because God is a giver. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gives because God loves the way he feels when he gives. There's something divine about giving and releasing, isn't there? I mean, just open the door for somebody. It's a giving act, right? Instead of rushing in, hold the door open. Now, some of them, you know, won't even acknowledge you, right? They just walk by you like you expected to. Those are the ones you just trip in Jesus' name. But, yeah, isn't it, isn't it funny? You just hold the door open. And they just, you just feel, yeah, I held the door open. And they go, thank you. And you go, yeah. I feel pretty good about myself. Held the door open for you. Chivalry's not dead. Here I am. Prince Philip. But you do. You feel good about it, Right? There's something good about it. One of the first pieces of furniture we ever bought was a roll-top desk, a beautiful roll-top desk. It was probably, 
I don't know, five feet long and stood about this high, and it was, it was just perfect. Everything about it was perfect. I loved that desk. It was a great desk, and, and uh, as the years went by, we were, uh, we were pastoring, and uh, my worship pastor came over, and he was looking at that desk. Every time he looked at that desk, he said, man, I want to get a desk like that one day. I just want to get a desk like that. And I was praying one day, and I said, hey, Tammy, I think God wants us to give him that desk. Now, let me tell you about this desk. This desk was massive, all right? Now, I don't know what happens to women when you're at work. They turn into like superheroes, right? Because if, if I was home, it would take like three or four guys to move this desk. But I would come home from work, and this desk, this 1,000-pound desk, has moved from one side of the room to the other side of the room. I looked at Tan. I said, how did you do that? She said, I just scooted it. And I looked at it, and I go, well, how, how in the world is 150 pounds scoot that? Oh, I'm sorry, not 150. What was it? 100. 115, 20, I don't know. How did you do that? She said, I just scooted a little at a time. A little at a time. I called up Jay. I said, hey, Jay, come on over. Bring a truck. I want to give you something. Came over. He had a truck. He didn't know. What, he, what are you, you going to give me? I said, I just, come on over. I was afraid I'd talk myself out of it. He came over, walked in. I showed him the desk. I'd already cleaned it out. He said, I'm going to give you that desk. He looked at me like, are you kidding? And then, have you ever had those moments when you gave something and you thought, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'll hold on to it. It is a pretty nice guess. He started going on about the desk, how good the desk looked, and how handy it was to roll all the stuff down. And I'm going, yeah, you know. Jesus, I'm sure glad I've already committed to this thing. No, I want you to have the desk. He said, what about the chair? I said, no, God didn't tell me nothing about the chair. You can't have the chair. Go get your own dang chair. I gave you the desk. I loved the way I felt when I gave that desk away. That, the way I felt giving that desk away was more important than the way I felt when I had the desk. When you hold on to something too tightly, it never feels right. It's only in the release that you find the feeling of satisfaction. Hayford went on to write this. It's illogical to give it away but it is an act of faith that declares, I believe in the living God, and I sow my faith into his promise. I started looking at that word curse, and I wondered about that word curse, and I thought, well, what do we do with that, God? Because that's, that's a big word, and I don't normally associate you with that word. I want you to know that the word curse, when it comes from God in the Scripture, is different than when it comes from the occultic world, the voodoo world, all right? It's a totally different concept, and we're going to try to explain that to you. But I, I got to thinking about how do I remove a curse, and what is that all about? And the first thing that came to me is I have to identify the problem. What's the problem that I have in my life? Because what I want to know is I want to know... If I know the problem, then maybe I can come back to the second thing, and that is I can understand the origin of that problem. So I want you to think that in the second way, I want you to think in terms of origin, and that Christians typically think in this term. They think in either or. So what they say is they say, well, you know, uh, you did something stupid, and that's the reason it happened. Or they'll say, well, you know, that was all about the word of spiritual warfare. It's all demonic. But you see, the Bible doesn't really operate in that way. What it operates is in both those work together. That when you do something stupid, what it does is it opens up a little kink in your armor to where the enemy could come in, attach himself to that, and then he can take you down a further road. 
The other thing I thought, thought fascinating was that whenever Jesus encountered somebody who was ill or demon-possessed, he never condemned them for either. He simply solved the problem. We typically want to condemn someone for a bad mistake or for opening themselves up to the evil one, but, but Jesus never did that. He simply said, don't do that again. Now let's solve the problem. And that's pretty good understanding when you begin to operate in this idea of how do I get this problem out of my life, and I have to understand there's a dual nature that's operating in my world. When I give place to the enemy, he takes that place. I have to take that place back, and I do that, and that's the third dimension I want you to understand here, or the third way is I have to exercise my legal authority. And when I say legal authority, I mean in the kingdom of God, as a child of God, I have legal authority to take back ground forfeited to the enemy. And when I take that back, now I can restore myself back into the situation where God wants me to be in. So look in your life and say, if if we go back to those early questions we had, what's the problem? What's the origin? Remember, it's not an either or. It's a both and in most cases. And then I want to say, okay, I want to take legal authority over that, and we're going, to, we're going to give you a prophetic blessing here at the end that you can pray that I believe in part will, will begin to set that in your heart. But heaven's resources, you see, are held in reserve. What God does is he says, I'm going to not open the window until you do something. When you do that thing, what I'm going to do is open the window up for you, but until that point, it's going to be closed. You're not going to be able to write a check on that account, in other words. Let's look what it says. Heaven's resources are held in reserve. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, you know what's unusual about this portion of Scripture? This is the only time in Scripture where God says to put me to the test. No other place. Put me to the test on this one, and I'm going to show you. You know why? I think the hardest thing for us to do is to release. Release that hard-earned money. I don't want to, no, I'm not doing that. I got bills. I got this. I got that. You know, I know God's going to take me to heaven, but I'll I'll figure everything else out on my own. That's really how we operate. You know, the average evangelical Christian in America gives 1.8% of their income a year. 1.8%. Let's put that in perspective. Out of $1, it's, it's less than two cents. You say, oh, well, you know, that's all I can afford. No, it's not because it's all you can afford in the natural realm, but you want to function in the supernatural realm because you want the accelerator of, of God's kingdom to begin to take control. I've never, I've never been in a situation where God didn't solve my problem. He got in, in financially, and he, I guarantee you, he got me on the edge of my seat plenty of times. Amen? But he always came through because he honored, he always honors the one who honors him. It says here, try me now, and this says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. I had a guy come up to me, he came up to me before the first service. Uh, he's one of the guys who works here, I'm not works here, he's not on staff, he serves here as a volunteer. And he said, came up after the first service, he said, I don't know why, but I was going to tell you this before, and I just didn't think it was appropriate or, or important. And But I'm going to tell you now in between service, he said, four months ago I began to tithe. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, my whole world's turned around. After I heard what you preached on, I wanted you to know what God has been doing in my life. Now, think about it. He was going to tell me that beforehand, didn't think it was really applicable. 
The lady comes up from Guatemala. She gives, she gives me the word on Alamanga, and John gives me the tomatoes. You see, you see it's a conspiracy. <laughs> the kingdom of God is a conspiracy that God is working on your behalf. And you can either choose to cooperate with him and go, ah, I don't buy that. Then you know what? You will be as blessed as you can bless yourself. And that's all the blessing you're going to get. You don't get favor when you rob God. You just don't get it. It doesn't work that way. He said, look at this. Try me now, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, there will not be enough room for you to receive it. See, we have to understand that we have to give it the right place. That's a storehouse in Scripture. That's the church. We have to give with the right motive, and that's to love and to honor God with all of our heart. We need to give with the right attitude. That's faith and joy in what God has said and what God has done. Because you see, the tithe, now listen to this. This is really powerful. This is so important. The tithe is literally a weapon of spiritual warfare. We talk about the helmet of our salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith, but the tithe is a spiritual warfare weapon. Look what it says, verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer. Notice that I've got it highlighted there. It's a definite article, the. It's not a devourer in your life. It's the devourer. That's Satan for your sakes. Notice, he, who's, who's destroying what you have? It's Satan's destroying what you have. It says that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Why am I not able to prosper? Why do I keep hitting the same ceiling of complexity and never be able to go on where I am? Because you're not honoring God. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. That's God's promise. That's just God. I either believe God or I don't believe God. Let me tell you how I believe God. I believe God when I obey God. I don't believe God when I nod my head. How? Darn, that hurt. But it's true. This is the most important message you're ever going to hear outside of salvation. God rebukes the devourer on your behalf. You know what's interesting about this? God tells us to resist the enemy, to rebuke the devil and all that kind of stuff, except in one area. It's in this area. And God does a rebuking. As far as I know, it's the only time God rebukes the devil on our behalf. It is in this area. Now, there may be others, so I'm not going to lay my life on the line on that one, but as far as my mind goes to, and what God does, then God releases the prosperity of heaven on your behalf. He said, I'm going to release it. I'm going to rebuke the devourer, then I'm going to release for you. I love what uh, Robert Morris said. He said this, being blessed means having supernatural power working for you. Okay, now watch this. Being cursed means having supernatural power working against you. I'm either going to let God work with me or I'm going to be working against God, and that's what it means when I experience this curse. That means I'm just saying, God, I'm going to work against you. I don't care what your word says. I'm not going to do it. And you might have a million good reasons why you're not going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. And God says, well, then I'm going to keep this window closed. That's all I'm going to do. I just keep the window closed. Sooner or later, you're going to either come back to this or you're probably going to get mad at me and blame me for what's happening in your life. I've watched people had to spend money on stuff they never should have spent money on, fight battles they never should have fought battles on, deal with issues they never should have dealt with, all because they didn't operate by the kingdom 
and said, you know what, I'll just work against God instead of work for God and work with God. Why don't you stand with me? I have a, this is one of the things that I wrote, uh, prophetic blessing. I call it the generosity principle. I've written about 40 of these prophetic blessings. Uh, One of these days I'll put them all in a book and make them available to you. But um, there's something powerful when you when you proclaim with your mouth what you want to see God do. Jesus said my, the, the, his words were both spirit and life. We see when you, when you speak something out, you're speaking out spirit and life. And here's how this goes. And I'm going to say it, and then I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. And this always works better if everybody does it. This feels better than two guys doing it. Got it? In Jesus' name, I acknowledge God's principle of sowing and reaping. My faith is multiplied and enriched through my personal generosity. God has opened the window of heaven for me to receive a blessing beyond all that I could imagine. I expect that God will work miracles in my life. In all ways, I will bless the work, the work of the kingdom, that I may be a blessing to others. I want to read something to you. We have been uh, fasting and praying for our brother here in in church. Brother Guy and and Noah, both of them, we've been praying and fasting. And Carrie, can I read this? Is this okay? Okay. Carrie's uh, husband uh, is in the hospital. We're praying for him. He's been in a coma for over about 30 days now. 31? 41 days? Wow. And... uh, Young man, I want you to know they're, they've been faithful in this church, faithful to honor God with their tithe, faithful to honor God with their time. And she wrote this to Tammy and I yesterday. She said, I want to let you know the good news, um, some good news on, on Guy. Um, we met with the doctor, and uh, his brain waves are very similar to that of yours and mine. Uh, look like when we're asleep. We'll do another one on Monday. If it's similar, we can start to take down the meds. I asked Guy to open his eyes yesterday, and he did on command. When I looked into his eyes and told him that he was going to be okay, he nodded his head. He kept his eyes open for at least five minutes. I know that God is at work. This morning I was at the prayer wall, and I I just wanted to ask again, any updates? And she said later last night, Guy coughed on command for his nurse. Remember, this is not supposed to be happening when you're in a coma. This is new for him to respond voluntarily, especially for someone that is not his family. We'll see the boys uh, to see Guy after church so they can talk to him. I want you to know, miracles are the passion of our heart. But loving God and doing what he says is the foundation of our heart. Lay the foundation, say, I'm going to follow God, love God, serve God, and I'll take the miracles as God sends them and brings them, 
and I'll give him glory and praise. But the foundation of my heart is always loving God and doing what he says. Amen? Amen. We're, gonna, we're just going to sing through this, uh, uh, this song just one time. And as they lead us through this, I want you just to have a ministry time right where you are. I want you just to pray, God, just cause me to, to follow after you, hard after Jesus, to change the world, change the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just sing this together.